This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor Mike Miller teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. We're in a series called Sunday School. Uh, and we thought about this because we have people that grow up in church that maybe forgot about what they learned and then people that maybe didn't grow up in church. You're like, man, I hear you reference things in the Bible and there's so much in this Bible, but when you hear these stories, I've never heard them. And that's the day we live in. And we want to make something as easy as possible go, hey, there is truths there that me, at 43 years of age, growing up in the church, there are truths in these stories for today for my life. Some of you need to remember that. We don't need to be instructed as much as we need to be reminded. I'm not looking for new information. I'm looking for application. You know what I'm saying? Like, we need some wisdom, and there's some stuff in here. And then those who have never heard it, there are some rich truth in there. And we started week one with Jonah. Matt Leto did an amazing job. Like, it's still so, I told him, I said, there's only one problem with your sermon. He's like, what's that? I'm like, I have to follow you. Because, like, that's a great sermon. And uh, he talked about sons and daughters look just like their fathers. Whether my kids like it or not, they act like me. Whether I like it or not, I act like my parents. We, we become like our parents, and God is a forgiving God. Did you know that? And the whole story about Jonah is him wrestling with, number one, that God calls, but God saves, but God forgives. And he had to wrestle with that. And I need to know today, we need to act like God. We're not acting like church. Us coming, putting money in the plate, sitting in his seat does not make us like our Father. Knowing God makes us like him. And God is forgiving, and God is holy, and God is good. And the more we're like with him, the more we should be like him. And Jonah, at the end of the story, was more like God, his Father, than the beginning of the story. And last week, Matt stared at the legend preach on David. On David. I love this line. Your giftings and God's grace kill giants. Can I tell you, your gifts are important. Your talents are important. That's why Dream Team is so important. Our Dream Team is doing production and kids ministry and worship and, and doing all these things and graphics and coffee and teaching and your giftings. God made you uniquely wired. Your giftings are important. God wants to use them. And there are giants that are challenging our generation like never before. Giants of apathy and depression and suicide and lust and religion and unforgiveness and, 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 and uh, from, from injustices. And there are giants that want to intimidate and take us out. But your giftings and the grace, the power of God together kills giants. I want to encourage you today. There's a reason why you, I'm preaching right now. You just need to know right now, I'm going to wake you up because I'm waking myself up. The giants that want to take out my kids and your kids, that want to take out my marriage and our country and our city, God's called somebody to step up. And if we bring what we have, our giftings, and we find his grace, his power, his strength, together we can kill some giants. I want to re-preach that sermon. It's so good. Sunday school. I remember Sunday school. My memory is, I was thinking about Sunday school. I had a great Sunday school growing up. But I remember felt boards. Some of you don't remember what felt boards were. They were amazing. But my biggest memory from Sunday school was the worship team. The worship team when I was growing up was this married couple. And she played accordion and he played maracas. <laughs> I know you're thinking, that was probably cool in 1985. No, it was not. It was never cool. She had this accordion. It was like, I remember, I remember being like nine going, uh, what's up with this? And it's just this accordion. And, and they sang songs about the devil sitting on tacks and joy, joy down in my heart. And then he had this maracas and he would shake his maracas. Like he was shaking it like a Polaroid picture and just shake. And she would, she would do this and he would do this. And there was, there was songs happening and it was, it was something. And I remember we'd hear them coming down the hallway. It was like, oh, good Lord, here we go. Uh, and they had action. How many hate action songs? Am I the only person? 
Action songs are fun, like, when, like, they're never fun. And they make us do these action songs. That was Sunday school. I remember Sunday school thinking, maracas and accordions. Listen, you've got to be thankful for Nova Kids. I'm so thankful for Nova Kids. We got, the kids love it over there. And it was awesome. I had a great Sunday school. But my memory of Sunday school was, again, going through some of these stories. Today, we want to go through our next story today and pull some truth out of it. It's going to be the story of Samson. Samson. If you never heard this story, maybe you have heard this story. If you have your Bible, today, you can turn to the book of Judges. Book of Judges in the Old Testament, before Ruth. You're going to find the book of Judges uh, after Joshua, before, before you get to Ruth, is the book of Judges. And we're going to unpack this. We're going to put the verses on the screen in a moment behind me. But the story of Samson, you need to know the story of Samson. And uh, he was known. He was known for being incredibly strong. He was known uh, for having long hair. Now, people always paint pictures and tell stories of him with long locks flowing in the wind like Fabio or like Aquaman. You know what I picture? I picture him the biggest afro in the world. Nowhere does it say he had straight hair. I picture Brother Samson having the biggest, I think he had, he didn't have a pick in his hair, he had a jawbone in his hair. Just, just, he had the biggest afro, and nowhere does it say he had muscles. He was just strong. And he was known for incredible strength. He was known for his long hair, he was known for compromise that ultimately became his de defeat and a great moral tragedy. When you say the word Samson, when you know this story, you think of amazing strength, you think of long hair, you think of one compromise after another, and then you, you picture a big moral failure. I believe there are lessons today from the story of Samson. Let's pray together as we unpack this story in our last session of Sunday School. Father, I thank you for this morning. Again, I thank you for this amazing church. I thank you for the amazing, talented, breathtaking people that are here today. Father, we thank you for our kids' ministry right now that are loving on the kids and next generation. Thank you for the babies and the toddlers. Father, we thank you for everyone under the sound of my voice. God, we're reminded again today that you are good, that you have a plan, that we're not just wandering through, uh, through, uh, through the atmosphere and the cosmo with no purpose, that God, you, you ordered us, you set us, you called us, you saved us, and you have an assignment on our lives. We pray today we'd fall in love with your assignment for our life. God, would you speak to us through your word today? God, the truth in here that I need, that we need, that God, you would speak to us, and we'd leave here more like you and more in love with you than we walked in. Father, thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, everybody said story of Samson happens in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is, is a time in Israel's history, God's people, between when they came out of Egypt, they were slaves for hundreds of years, and they were rescued by a man named Moses, who turned it over to a guy named Joshua, and they came out of slavery, and now they're free. And the book of Judges happens between that time in their life, and then there's another season of life where they have all these kings. They wanted someone to rule them. Like, listen, every other nation's got a prime minister. They got a president. They got a king. We want a man. Like, we're thankful for God, but we can't see God. We don't know what he looks like. We can't go to his house. We can't ask him for things. So we want a man to lead us. We want someone tall, someone strong. We want someone we're proud of to put on money, to put on our flags. We want a palace. We want a king. And this happens, this book of Judges happens between the times of slavery when in newfound freedom, and between, before they get kings, that is the book of Judges. The people constantly wandered during this season. They wandered from the ways of God, from following his commandments. They forgot who they were called to be. 
when we read this book, we're going to read a large part of it today, is that they were called by God. God rescued them and said, you're called to be a special people. You're called to be my people. I'm going to make you a nation. I have a place for you. It's promised to you, a promised land. And then they started forgetting what they heard. Anybody else? Am I the only person? You forget what you know? Like my son's doing math right now in grade nine math and my daughter's doing grade six math and I forgot what I, I, they, they, I think they changed math in the last 25 years because they're talking about integers. I don't even know what that is. I thought, I thought that was a car that Acura made. I'm like, what's an integer? And uh, that's an Integra. And I'm like, what's going, they're going, thank you, June. But I'm reminded that I forgot things I once knew. And God's people would forget the Ten Commandments that God said, this is how you live, and they had it, and they kept forgetting. And the book of Judges are these men and these women that kept coming back going, I want to remind you what God said, and then saving them from the mess they got themselves into. Here's the theme of Judges, chapter 2. We're going to read two verses in verse 16. This is the theme for the whole chapter of Judges. It says this, Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to God's command. That's the book of Judges. In between their freedom from slavery and then being underneath a monarchy and a king, in this season, they kept going, right, that's the right way to live. And then they quickly forget about it, get themselves in a mess, and God raised up these judges, 15 of them, and they write their stories in this book that said, hey, I need to remind you, come back to God. Come back to God. And now the mess that you're in, let me go kill some people. Let me go fix some things. Why? Because your consequences have uh, your, your compromise has consequences. And they would compromise their heart, and the judges would remind them and then fix the messes they were in. There were 15 judges. There was Deborah. There was another famous one called Gideon. But the most famous judge of all the judges was Samson. God raises up these judges to both correct them and save them, bring them back to God's plan. And Samson was the most famous of all the judges. Today I want to unpack his story, and then we're going to pull some truths out of it that I believe apply to my life and apply to your life. He was known for his strength. He was known for his moral tragedy. In chapter 13 is the story of Samson. We're going to start reading uh, in verse 1. We're going to read a few verses today about his birth and how he started his life. Judges 13, verse 1. It says, again, the Israelites did evil. Again, you see the pattern here. They did evil. A judge would come in and rescue them. They'd live right for a little while. Then they'd go back to their sin and their compromise. And then a judge would come in, and it was this groundhog day of over and over of compromise and consequence. Compromise and consequence. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Philistines, who oppressed them for 40 years. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. Not Zoro, he has a sword. This is Zorah. Um, his wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink any wine or any other alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. His hair must never be cut, and he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. So before he's born, there's a plan for his life. God speaks to his parents that here's the plan. He's going to be born. 
Uh, he's going to rescue God's people, but there's some conditions on his life. Number one, he's going to be a Nazarite. Now, you've got to know what that means, a Nazarite vow. Jesus was born under the same thing. He was called a Nazarite. He was from Nazareth. He was, a, he was known as a Nazarite in very similar vows. What does it mean to be a Nazarite? Samson was a Nazarite. It means that you were chosen and separated by God from normal things. It means that you were loved and you could live in a community, but you acted different than maybe your brothers, your sisters, or your friends down the street. What was a Nazarite? Well, we don't got time today, but back in Numbers chapter 6, uh, um, God unpacked, if you were going to be a Nazarite, if you were called by God to be a Nazarite, what your life looked like. So when Samson's parents said, hey, he's going to be a Nazarite, they knew what his life had to look like. Real quickly, here's three things that a Nazarite's life looked like. One feature is you could never have wine or fermented drink if you're a Nazarite. No alcohol. Number two, no cutting of your hair. You said, let it flow like a chia pet. Just let it go, right? Never cut your hair. Never. Never cut your hair. Number three, never touch anything dead. Never touch anything dead. You could not be involved. That means if you're hunting, you couldn't be, be involved. Like your way of life was hunting. You couldn't touch an animal after it has died. Uh, there was not, no touching anything with death. That was the three main things to be a Nazarite. This is what Samson's parameters and boundaries are for his life. It's interesting to know this. His calling had boundaries. The calling of God had boundaries on his life. You know, I've realized every great tragedy starts with small compromises. No one ever falls off into a tragedy without starting with small compromises. The story of Samson is one of tragedy. At the end of the story, there's tragedy on his life. And what's interesting, as we unpack his life, we start to see that the great tragedy that many know and we're going to read about started years before with small compromises. Chapter 14, we're going to start reading about his strength, his legendary strength, but then the start of his compromises. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now Samson's a grown man. He's growing, and now he's being known. He's starting to walk in his calling of strength and of helping people. In 14, verse 1, it says this. It says, one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistines, Philistines are their enemy, by the way, a Philistine woman caught his eye. Not much has changed in, over, in thousands of years. Caught his eye. And when he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. Isn't that romantic language right there? <laughs> Get her for me. Ugh. You know, I love that. It's like Uber. You know, like Uber Eats, all right? It's like Uber, just calling a cab. Done, you right? Go get, that. that's, that's a Hallmark card right there. Rose red, voucher blue, go get her for me. If you don't, it sucks to be you. You know, like, go get her for me. Then the next line, she looks good. She looks good to me. Samson wasn't the deepest man in the world. Didn't ask about her character, her giftings. Didn't ask what her strengths and weaknesses were. Was she a summer? Was she a winter? Was she an introvert? Nope. Nope. She caught my eye. She's good looking. Go get her. He swiped left and here's what happened. All right. If you got that, you're under 45. Okay. Uh, his, mother, his father and mother didn't realize that God was at work even in this creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines. God can work with even our messes. Who ruled over Israel at that time. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands, as if he did it easily as if it was a young goat. To be honest, I don't know if I could do that to a young goat. <laughs> I've never tried it. 
I'm just thinking, well, they make it sound like anybody can rip apart a young goat. No, I don't. I, I couldn't get a jar open for my wife last night. Random. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Verse 7. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. Okay, now she apparently has a personality. Verse 8. Later, when he had returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look for the carcass of the lion. He went back to the scene of his victory. He found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. Don't miss this. He's now touching dead things. It's not just honey. It's not just stopping off at a market. This is not organic food. He's actually starting to compromise by touching the dead carcass of a lion because it was convenient to him. He also gave some to his father and mother, and they ate it, but he didn't tell them he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. The story goes on here. He's on his way to his wedding, and he gets in a fight with the wedding guests. Now, that sounds something we can relate to. Your in-laws, your outlaws, come on. Remember your wedding day? Come on, somebody. I married a Newfoundlander. That wedding was something else. Uh, he gets a fight with the wedding guests. He then, in the middle of that, he's so upset, he stands his wife, his fiance, up at the altar, and they actually never marry her. He actually stands up at the altar. She's waiting at the altar. All her guests, all her tribe, her, country, her people are there. All his family's there. And he gets so mad at the conversation at the wedding guests, he stands her up at the altar and leaves her. She moves on fairly quickly because, you know, they've spent so much time together. They're so in love that she marries his best man. The Bible's not boring. It's a lot of things, but it's not boring. It's like Jerry Springer's happening right now. <laughs> he leaves her at the altar. He's so mad. Then she's like, well, I got all dressed up. We got all this food. We've got honey and dead lions. Come on, baby, let's go. And she marries the best man. Samson then gets mad for this. How could you marry my best man? So he goes and gets revenge. He, he, I love the story. He caught 300 foxes, as you do, you know. <laughs> he, he, tied, he, 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 he tied torches, like, 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 like uh, he caught things on fire, took these torches, and he lit them on fire, and he tied them to 300 foxes' tails. He tied the foxes in pairs, and then set them loose in their fields of his enemy. So now you got these foxes tied together. You can imagine what that's like. Crazy. Which Samson's only strong. He's actually extremely agile and fast. He captures these foxes, puts them in pairs, ties them together, puts fire on their tails, so now they're running, and then lets them go in the vineyards and in the crops, and they run through, and all the crops catch on fire. The vineyards, the grain, and all their crops catch on fire. In turn, ruining their economy and causing a food shortage in their country. The Philistines, in return, now get mad, as you do. They get mad. Now we're in this back and forth you're going to see happening in the scripture. They get mad. They go find his former fiance, who he stood up at the, at the wedding. They find her and her father. They put her, them in a house and they burn them alive. You're like, is this Sunday morning Sunday school? This was Sunday. They never told me this part in Sunday school. There are foxes on fire and fiancés on fire. You know, Beyonce's on fire. Like, everything's happening right now. There's in a box to the left to the left and there's, everything's on fire and everything's happening right now. So then, so then Samson gets mad. So it's going back and forth now, right? Now it's a fight. Now Samson's mad because the woman that he knew for an hour that married his best friend, now he's grieving her. So he gets mad, and it says that he retaliates by going and finding a whole bunch of these men and killing uh, hundreds of them. Then the Philistines get mad that he killed hundreds of them. Are you picking up a pattern here? Dysfunction. They get mad, and they in return go on and attack Samson's people. 
They go to his home, his hometown, and find his people and kill them. Now, Samson's own people are like, okay, we should be mad now. It was Samson and his best man and his fiance, and they're, now we've been attacked because of Samson and because of these people. Now his own people get mad, and they betray him to the enemy, going, you know what? Let's just give him over to you. We're going to betray him. We're going to pick it up here in 15, verses 10 to 15, chapter 15. So there's been back and forth. Samson, because of his compromise, gets in a fight. He has a short temper. Sometimes the greatest giftings have the least character. Don't promote giftings. Promote character. In the middle of the great giftings and strength, he's weak on the inside. He gets ticked off. Listen, if you're going to get ticked off when people say things, like church, I was talking to someone this week. They're like, church is a mess. I'm like, wherever you have people, it's going to be a mess. Church is probably the, church is messy. Because people are messy. But I still think it's the best mess to be a part of because it's what God's working through. Some of you don't, don't get offended. Just, we got to lighten up a little bit. And so sometimes we pick fights we've never called the fight. He was called to free a nation, but he picked a fight at a wedding party and it started to cost him his destiny. Some of us are, are, are fighting battles we were never called to fight. If you fight every battle, you'll be exhausted. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just turn the other cheek and walk away going, you know what, I'm just going to let it go. Now his own people betray him. We pick it up in chapter 15. We're going to start reading in verse 10. Chapter 15, verse 10. It says, Then the men of Judah asked the Philistines, Why are you attacking us? The Philistines replied, We've come to capture Samson. We've come to pay him back for what he did to us. So 3,000 men of Judah went down to get Samson. His own people now are turning on him. 3,000 of them. They went down to Samson at a cave in the rock, and they said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing? What are you thinking? But Samson replied, I only did to them what they did to me. But the men of Judah told him, we have come to tie you up and hand you over. We've had enough of this. You've been too much drama. Done. We're done with you. We're done with this. We just want peace. We want to go back to our lives, so we're going to hand you over. All right, Samson said, but promise that you won't kill me yourselves. Basically, tie me up, send me down, but don't you kill me. Let them kill me. They said, we'll only tie you up, verse 13, and hand you over to the Philistines, they replied. We won't kill you. So they tied him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. As Samson arrived at Leah, the Philistines came shouting in triumph, but the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson, and he snapped the ropes of his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax. I think I could do that. I think I could break burnt... Not a goat, but I could break that. And they fell from his wrists. He then found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. Again, touching something else dead. Even in, use, even in doing the work of the Lord, he picked it up and killed a thousand Philistines with it. This is the story of Samson. You know what's amazing to me? His own people turned him in. His own people betrayed him. Here's a thought before I get into some more truths today, is that some of the most disappointing stories of people walking out on their faith is because we first opened the door. So many times as church, people walk out on their faith. They're like, I'm done with faith. I'm done with this God thing. And some of the greatest tragedies of people walking out is because we first opened the door to show them out. Here's Samson. He's compromising small, but there's a call of God in his life. And in the middle of it, his own people fed up with his character and his, and his compromise say, you know what? We're going to show him to his defeat. We're going to hand him over. Here's one truth I don't want to forget as a church. We should not give up on people that God hasn't on. 
we shouldn't give up on who God hasn't. But that's not easy sometimes. Really? They said that to me again? Really, they lost their temper on me again? Really, they rolled their eyes with me again? They said, what? They're the cause of the drama? They didn't, they didn't pay me back that money? And we give up on people that God's not done with yet. I thank God he's not done with me. But may I have the kind of character and strength that I don't give up on people either. So many people have walked out in their faith, but the church has opened the door for their, for their exit. Oh, there's some truth in that. It then goes on and says that Samson gets mad again. He gets mad again and he attacks again. Of course he does. And he kills a whole bunch of them. Then it goes on to chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. And it's talking about some of his great strengths. It says, one day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Do you see this? God uses him and then compromise. He's in this vicious cycle of forgetting. He was called to help people not forget. But what he was called to be, to save from, he became a part of. God would show up in power in his life. And then he'd quickly forget after doing great feats. The spirit of the God came upon him. And then he would go, he says here, he went and found a, slept with a prostitute. Let us be careful not to magnify or lift up people just because you see God use them. Yeah, but they're a great preacher. Oh, but what they can sing. Man, the way they counsel, the wisdom they have in their life. Listen, we live God, we, we respect leaders, but listen, we don't elevate any man or woman. We follow God. Because what's in people's hearts? People are broken and people are messed up. Am I the only one in the place? But it says, Samson here, great strength, and then he goes and lays with a prostitute. And word soon spread that Samson was there. So the men of Gaza gathered together. They waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, when the light of the morning comes, we're going to kill him. This is our chance. This battle's been going back and forth. We're going to kill this judge. We're going to kill this man. But Samson stayed in bed only until midnight. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the town gate, including the two posts. These are the gates that caused security. These are the gates that kept enemies out. These were fortified gates. He says he picked them up and the two posts, lifted them on the bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill across from Hebron. What a sign of strength. He knew what they were thinking. Before they could attack him, he went out to where they were hiding, basically took what they were hiding behind, put them on his shoulders, and not just carried them, carried them to a top of a hill. Then it says that Samson fell in love again with a woman in 4 to 9, named Delilah. This Delilah was this, this, this Philistine, and she's taunting him. She, she wants his strength. And in chapter 16, verses 4 to 9, it says, some time later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley. The rulers of the Philistine went to her and said, entice him to tell you what makes him so strong that he can be that he can't, so, so we can overpower and tie him up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong. And what would it take to tie you up so you couldn't get free? Samson replied, if I was tied up with seven new bowstrings, that have not yet been dried, I would become weak as anyone else. So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings, and she tied Samson up with them. She had hidden some men in the corner of the rooms of her house, and she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you in the middle of the night after they had been together. But Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it's burned by the fire, and the secret of his strength was not discovered. It goes back and forth 
this woman, he knew she was trouble. He knew she was bad news. He'd go with her, he'd lay with her, he'd sleep with her. He'd be drifting asleep and she'd be playing with his hair, his long, his huge afro, playing with his afro. She'd be picking out all the, all the sticks out of his afro. And she'd go, baby, baby, what makes you so strong? What is it? Is it something you eat? What is it? Is there something you wear? What, is there a secret to your, what, is there something that would be your kryptonite? Is there something to take away your strength? And he just messed with her. He goes, if you do this, I'll be like any other man. And as he fell asleep, she would do that to him. How many know if I woke up after one time, I'd be like, I don't think I trust you. I think, I think you're bad news. But no, he, now he's having a game. Why? Because he's now comfortable with his compromise. And he's like, oh, no, no. And he wakes up. He sees the enemy coming. He breaks off the chains. He breaks off the ropes. He breaks out of whatever little thing that he's lied to her about and shows that's not my secret to my strength. And he keeps doing this back and forth. And back and forth. Eventually, she starts to wear him down. It goes on finally. One night, he's worn down. And he says, listen, if you cut my hair, if you cut my hair, I'll be weak like any other man. She go, he goes to sleep that night, and one last time, he's now worn down and tired of this thing, and he gives up. And she cuts his hair and she says, the Philistines are on you. And he wakes up thinking it's, the Bible says he's thinking it's like any other time. And he didn't even know the spirit of God had left him. And he went out and all of a sudden he realized he was as weak as anybody else. The Philistines take him into captivity. This is great tragedy starts to unfold. Then he gets put into prison. He gets, they take his eyes out. They pluck his eyes out. They pluck his eyes out. They put him on a, on, on a, on a treadmill that meant for, for wheat where animals would have to be tied to this bar and they would grind wheat and he's tied to that. And a man that was meant to deliver a country is now doing the job of animals. He has no sight. He has no vision. He is now a prisoner. The man that was supposed to be freedom is now a prisoner. And they come by and mock him. They come by and go, hey, there he is, right there. Kids are mocking him, they're spitting on him. This is the life. Then, at the end of the story, in chapter 16, it says his hair starts to grow back. And in verse 25, as we close in on the end of Samson's life, before I pull some truth out today, this is the last moments of Samson's life. Verse 25, it says, half drunk now, the people demanded, they're having a party, bring out Samson, bring out this, this sideshow, bring out this former champion that's now blind and he's now, he's now like any other man and we're going to mock him. He said, bring him out so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them. And they had him stand by the pillars supporting the roof. Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hands against the pillars that hold the temple. I want to rest. Now the temple was completely filled with people. And all the Philistine rulers were there, and about 3,000 men and women were on the roof who were watching Samson amused. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Interesting. We hadn't heard him pray till now. I think that's interesting. You can do the work of the Lord without even knowing the Lord. He then says, remember me again. Do you see the humility there? It wasn't, I'm the man. I'm the man. No, 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 you can't stop me. I'm the man. Now it's like, hey, God, it's me. You might not recognize me. I got no eyes and I got no hair and I'm in this prison, but remember me again. Humility came back in. Oh, Lord, please strengthen me just one more time. 
And with one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. That's the story of Samson. Isn't that tragic? So in 2019, what do we take from this? This is a story. Sounds a lot like, sounds a lot like Zeus. It sounds a lot like Hercules. It sounds a lot like, no, no. In this story of this young man called by God, is there truths for us today? Here's a couple of thoughts today before we go on our day that I think God's speaking to us. Number one, God always separates before he joins. God always separates before he joins. Samson was born with an assignment on his life, and so were we. It says in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's upon us today. This is our verse. The spirit of the Lord is upon Nova. It's upon your marriage, your kids, your singleness. It's on my life. For he has anointed us to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim the captives to be released, that the blind would see, that the oppressed would be set free. But before God wants to join you to his purpose, he wants to separate you from compromise. God always separates before he joins. For, for Samson, it was a Nazarite. For us, God wants us to separate. Listen, we can't look like the world we're trying to save. Samson was supposed to look different from the people he was going to reach. God always separates before he joins. God wants to join us to his purpose. There's a calling on your life. Teenagers, there's a calling on your life. You're not just getting through your teenage years. Young adults, there's a calling on your life. But God wants to separate you. Another verse says we are in the world, but not of it. We are called to be a part of the solution, but we're not supposed to look like them in every way. God always separates before he joins. Samson forgot he was called to be separate as a Nazarite. That word Nazarite, it actually is Hebrew. It means consecrated, or it actually means separated. The calling on his life was, hey, from day one, you're different. You're separated. We're called to look more like God than the ones we're called to rescue. Listen, we have to have hope if we're going to reach the hopeless. If you don't have hope, you can't give someone hope. If you look like them, you can't reach them. Listen, we have to have hope if we're going to reach the hopeless. We need to be forgiven if we're going to bring forgiveness. Otherwise, we're going to reproduce after our kind and hurt people, hurt people. Some of you, listen, it's okay to have scars. You can live with scars. You can't live with wounds. And some of us are un have unforgiveness and we have bitterness and offense and we're trying to help people come in here. Welcome to church. Welcome to my life. And we start bleeding on people and we wonder why there's no power because we're supposed to look different than the ones we're called to reach. We have to be forgiven and we have to forgive before we can bring forgiveness to someone else. If there's anything our culture needs right now, it's forgiveness. People need to know. You don't need to be, live offended. It's exhausting to be offended. I know people that have been mad for 30 years. They're exhausted. Some of you need to lighten up, say you're sorry. Some of you need to forgive some people and move on. Why? Because we have to look different than those that we're trying to reach. You need to be loved to reach the unloved. Our world needs some love. But in order to reach them, you've got to have some love. The Nazarite vow is the call of believers today. No wine. What does that represent? It represents sacrifice. In that culture, it represented comfort. Wine was a comfort food. Serving God means you're going to sacrifice some pleasures in life. Did you know that today? If you're going to be separated from God, listen, calling over comfort. There are some things that aren't wrong, but they're not for us. Why? Because we give up comfort. 
To follow a life of God, you need to know this if you're new in your faith. This life is worth it, but it is not easy. It is not comfortable. That's the call we're under. Second thing, no cutting your hair. What does that mean? Uh, in this scripture, it represents uh, long hair. At that time, meant shame. It meant long hair in a man was shameful. At the time, it was considered something that was, it was taboo. And listen, if you had long hair, what you're saying is, I don't care. Long hair, don't care. You had conquered your pride. To be a Nazarite with long, uncut hair, you had died to your pride years ago. Listen, if you want to live for God and do something for God, you have to realize you have to die to trying to please men. You can't please God and please men at all times. Pleasing God will disappoint men. I'm getting used to disappointing people. There are people in your life that want you to live like them, act like them, be like them. If you're going to please God, you have to be okay with disappointing men. That's a lesson from Samson. Philippians 2 says it this way. He said, he's talking about Jesus, who again was a Nazarite. He says, gave up divine privileges. He took a humble position of a slave and was born. As a human being, he humbled himself. Verse 9, then God elevated him to the highest place. Why? He humbled himself. Listen, I want to encourage you today. We need to give up our pride and humble ourselves. A couple points real quick and I'm done as the band comes back. Purity is a process. Purity is a process, both backwards and forward. Listen, forgiveness is an event, but purity is a process. It says Samson's purity started going backwards early on. Purity is a process. But listen, here's the hope today. If you're sitting there going, man, I've messed up. My life's a mess. Purity is a process. You can move forward. Samson started moving backwards. Listen, we can move forward. Know today. You may not be where you need to be, but thank God you're not where you were. Purity is a process. I believe forgiveness can happen right now, but tomorrow you can be more like God than you were yesterday. You can be more like the call of God in your life next week than last week. You need to know purity is a process. And some of us, we're going the wrong way in our process. We're compromising. And what you got away with yesterday, we won't get away with tomorrow. Why? Because we're sliding. Purity is a process. Great fails start with small compromises. Vision is a heart issue. You need to know that today. Vision is a heart issue. Samson fell in love with a dangerous woman. She betrayed him and wore him down with her pestering. But vision is a heart issue. He lost his, he gave his heart before they took his eyes. He gave his heart before they took his eyes. You know what we have a problem so many times with young people today? Is they have no vision for their life. What do you want to do with your life? I don't know. I don't think we have a vision problem. I think we have a heart problem in our lives. I think if you ever find someone with no vision for their life, somewhere they've given up their heart. The Bible says he gave up his heart before they ever took his eyes. He gave up his heart to prostitute. He gave up his heart in compromise. He gave up his heart to offense and attitudes. And because he gave his heart, his eyes were taken. We need to get back to being a church with vision, not just surviving. We have vision as a church. We have vision as a family. Vision to change the world. I want my kids to have vision, dreaming about their life, their marriages, their 20s, their 30s, their 50s, about legacy of make why. Because vision sees what God has for your life, but it starts with your heart. Vision is tied to your heart. The word Delilah, that woman, you know what it means? Her name means weak. It means languishing. Another synonym for languish means to decay, to fade, to fall, to sink, to weaken. Delilah weakens and fades. Listen, so many times we are dating Delilah in our own lives and we're getting weaker in our lives. It might be what we watch, what we think, or what we do, but Delilah, something that we love that is compromising is slowly fading us. We don't think anybody notices, but they notice. Your edge is gone. Your, your sharpness is gone. Your strength isn't what it used to be. Your kindness isn't there. Your, your heart isn't where it used to be. And Delilah wants to fade us away. 
I want to challenge you today. It's a hard issue. Vision and devotion are tied together. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then things will be added. Vision and devotion are tied together. You want vision for your life? Devote yourself to God. Some of you are like, what am I going to do with my business and my family and my marriage and my singleness and my teenage years and my retirement years? You want to get a vision? Work on our devotion. Because the closer my heart is to him, the more vision I have. With this, I close. Final point is God can build on rock bottom. It goes on to say in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, which is the hall of honor for anybody in the Bible that was a man or woman of faith. There's only two women mentioned in the whole chapter of Hebrews 11, but Samson's mentioned there, which means he made it as a hero. And in his last moment, when he was at rock bottom, God goes, I can work with this. And says he did more in his rock bottom with God than he did on his own. God can build on rock bottom. I take great hope in this. That even after hitting rock bottom, God used him to rescue Israel. Rock bottom is not too low for God. Some of you today, you feel like you're at rock bottom. It's not too late. It's not too late. God builds on rock bottom. Sometimes he has to get to bedrock before he can build the greatest buildings. Listen, God can build on rock bottom. Rock bottom created more champions than privilege ever could. Some of you are going through a tough time. God is preparing you for greatness. It might not be sin. It might not be a choice you made, but you feel like the life, you are just beat down. You're at rock bottom. God builds champions from rock bottom. And God's not done with you yet. God's plan is stronger than your worst day. He's stronger than your worst day. Can we stand to our feet all over this place? What song are we singing? We're going to sing a song called Living Hope. As we dim these lights today, as we're going to close, we're going to sing this song. This is going to be our call today. He said, Mike, here's the question I want to ask you. How's your heart? Not your vision. Not what are you doing for God. Don't tell me what instrument you play, what sermon you preach. Don't tell me what, what, what part in the community you're helping with. Let me start. How's your heart today? Samson is a story of the heart, not of muscles and not of hair. It's a story of the heart. Vision's tied to heart. So let me ask you, on the purity journey. Are you going backwards or forward? Only you know. You know small compromises maybe you've let in your thoughts or your habits or your words. And today don't feel the judgment of God. Hear him calling you higher. Go, no, no, no. Let's turn this around. I've called you to do great things. I've called you to help people. I've called you. i got great vision for your life. Come on, let's turn it around. You might be going this way today going, I don't know, I just don't care anymore. They've offended me. They've hurt me. That feels too good. I enjoy that habit too much. This is too easy. I'd rather do this. This is more fun. Today, turn it around. Why? Because God's going to call on your life. And take a step today. As we sing this song, we have a living hope today that God can build on rock bottom, that you're not too far gone. He's not dead and he's not done. And today, on your rock bottom, God can build something beautiful today. If you say, Mike, there's something in my life where I feel like I'm struggling. As we sing this song, give it to God. Say, God, take it today. Take my compromise. Take away my compromises and do something great with my life. Amen. Come on, let's sing this together.